last book in the Bible. It's a book named Jude. And I'm going to apologize for you note takers. I do not have a PowerPoint today, uh, so you will have to forgive me on that. Uh, extend the mercy that Jude asked us to extend you last week uh, to me. Uh, we've been going through this, this, this book, uh, and we've been walking through it slowly. Uh, and it's been a book that has, for me, been impactful. Because it's a book that reminds me of God's love and care for me and his people. It's a book on the defense of the faith. It's a book about uh, being on, standing on guard against false teachers. But really the book is having a firm foundation in who Jesus is and our love for him. Having our eyes fixed and set in the right location. Desiring after the right things. Which gives us the ability to discern what is wrong. And so we began this book looking at the first opening uh, statement. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. That Jude is writing this to a people who know Jesus, who are loved by God, who are stewarded by him, who are cared by him, and seen as precious. Much like you have, have for your kids when they were first born, uh, not when they were toddlers and destroying the house. Um, but you look at a child, your child, and you just see this, this love overcomes you. You just, you just want to care for this child. And at the end of this book, Jude writes one of the most profound uh, doxologies in all the Bible. And we're going to spend this week and next week on this doxology, and then we're going to be done with the book, and we'll go on to something else. Um, maybe Leviticus. No. no. Uh, amen. <laughs> Chip, you can help me with that series. Um, so if you have your Bibles open to the book of Jude, we're going to look at uh, Jude verses uh, 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. What a beautiful statement. It's a beautiful statement read in any context of life. Things are going well. Things are not going well. Life is difficult. Life is easy. The statement remains beautiful. Because any of us who've walked through life for any period of time recognize there are lots of things out there that cause us to stumble. There are a lot of things out there that hinder our walk with the Lord. Um, and even as a parent, right, our, our lives as Christians, our lives as new believers are very much like the life cycle of a child. We're born again. We receive milk. We drink milk. We keep on drinking that milk until we're strong enough to handle the meat of Scripture. We stumble with him. We crawl with him. We walk with him. And he's alongside with us. And what Jude is saying here is just like a child beginning to walk and a father helping that child as they take their first couple steps and picking them up, keep them from falling down, God is doing that with his people. Or he is able to do that with his people, rather. 
I have three, four kids. One of them is not quite yet ready to start walking. Maybe in a year from now, we'll get to that point. Uh, but it's just a, it's a beautiful image, I think, of what God does. And the first thing I want us to look at is that God securely keeps his people. It's what he does and has done throughout history. It's what he's shown himself to be throughout all of scripture. It's what he's done for Jude. It's what he's done for that church. And he's what he's going to do for us. What he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for us. Because it's in his nature. And it, it's fitting to me with Jude, who started his letter to those who are beloved and kept in Christ Jesus, finishes his letter with a reminder for those who are beloved. Keep yourself in the love of God. Beloved, keep yourself in the love of God. And out of that love, you can reach people. But understand that in your walk, in everything that's going on, whatever responsibility is laid upon you, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Now to him who is able to do that. Jude wants to encourage his readers who are struggling under false teaching. False teaching, and we, whatever image comes to your mind in that, I want you to think of someone speaking to my fleshly desires and, and saying it's okay for me to follow through with those. That is, that is an easy trap to fall into. Why? Because all of us know what our specific fleshly sin pattern is and how easy it is to fall into that. Whatever it is, gossip, slander, lust, greed, whatever that is. Each of you know from experience being tempted into something you think will bring you pleasure that you know is not from God or of God or not what he asked for his people and then following through with that because it's immediate. I feel like I need it. I have to have it. I covet it. And there's in this Church, there are people who are standing in a place, in a position of authority saying, do it. God's good with it. It's fine. Walk through with it. And Jude is saying to these people who are standing in that, in a situation where when they are going to be standing firm, they may have some friends that will depart from them. Not only is the consequence difficult within me, there is a consequence within the community. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And these people who are called to faithfulness before God, obedience to Christ, the question is, how am I ever going to do that? I know myself. I know my tendencies. God knows them even better than me. Man, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless. Right? God's, 
people are secure because he's the one upholding their security. Now, I just want to remind you, and we say this, try to every week, because reminding ourselves of the gospel is a daily thing. We are prone to forget. But Christ died for the ungodly. And Christ, when he calls his people, the big theological term is imputes his righteousness to them. He gives us his identity in his life. 2 Corinthians 5. He became sin who knew no sin. That we might become. Aorist, perfect, participle. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He gives us his righteousness. He makes us blameless. And then he causes us to walk in his statutes, in his ways. He walks with us. As Paul would say, I say, walk in the spirit and you shall not gratify the desires of the flesh. God's purpose in calling us to new life is to make us new and to call us into a life of righteousness, a life that reflects who he is, a life that is not about me, but about him, his program, his glory, his, his name, his renown, his desire. What he wants is all good because he's all good. And if he tells me something to do, it's not to remove happiness from my life. But it's actually to bring the most fulfillment in my life. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless. Right? And this has been throughout all of Scripture. There's oftentimes a discussion of how the God of the Old Testament is somehow different than the God of the New Testament. Like the God of the Old Testament is this uh, angry grandpa who's just standing up there and mad with everyone. Go wipe out those people. Why can't you get it together? Law, 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 law. All these rules. And the God of the New Testament is this grace God. It's just not the case. God is the same yesterday, today, and always. The grace we see in Jesus Christ is the grace in who God is throughout all of history. It's in his nature. He describes himself like this in Exodus, I believe, 18, Exodus 34. God, God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, rich in mercy, forgiving iniquity and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And the major statement of who God is calling him, which is the first time he ever mentions who he is, he makes a statement that he is gracious, merciful and gracious, slow to anger. He's compassionate. He's forgiving. He's a forgiving God. But he is just. He's good. And throughout Scripture, you just see over and over and over, and I don't have this up there, and I'm not going to ask you to turn. I'm just going to read some statements, mostly out of the Psalms, of God's desire and ability to keep his people from stumbling. I mean, David speaks of this all the time, right? 
Psalm 56, 13, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from failing that I may walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 66, 9, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Psalm 73, 2, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Psalm 91, 11 through 12, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Psalm 116, 8, for you have, been, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Psalm 121, 3 through 8, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And again, in the New Testament, it's the same thing, right? First, Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Or even Jesus' prayer in John 17.11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one even as we are one. See, God securely keeps his people. And he does it because it's in his nature. He loves us. He does not want us to fall over and fail. He does not want us to suffer needlessly, although he allows us to go through suffering. He keeps his people secure. He loves us. He's able. And this is from David, who has stumbled through life, right? He had all these victories, did all these great things. David and Goliath ran from Saul, did all the right things. Then he had a little issue with Bathsheba and Uriah. And still in all that, the Lord was faithful to David to confront him of what he was, the sin that he had committed, the covetousness of his heart, and then he brought him back into a path of stability before the Lord. Even through the turmoil of his son uprising against him and losing his throne for a moment. And going on the run again. And the Lord rescued. And the Lord redeemed. And the Lord kept him. Same thing for the whole picture of Israel. He redeemed a people for himself out of bondage of Egypt through an impassable sea that we could liken to, the, to death, right? And he brought them through the wilderness. And they rebelled against him. And he could have just wiped them out, but he didn't. He kept the people. A generation fell, but he kept the people. And he brought them into the land. He walked with them throughout all of history, even through their adultery against him and their constant and consistent rejection of him. 
He continued to woo. He continued to come after. And he continued to prepare the way for the Savior who would come through them to rescue them from their brokenness. Now to him who was able to keep you and to present you blameless before him. You see, God's security in us, his ability to keep us, leads us into making us pure for himself. He wants to do that. It's not something he's asking you to do. He does that to present you blameless before him in the presence of his glory. Now, when you read that, immediately what should come to mind is this, the image of Exodus and Moses wanting to see the glory of God. Anyone know what happened there? I'll remind you. Moses was up on the mount. He wanted to see the glory of God, and God said, you cannot see my glory because you will perish. Nobody can stand in the presence of my glory because my glory wipes out sin. But I will hide you with my hand, and I will pass by you. And Moses sees a portion of God's glory. Moses comes down radioactive for the rest of his life, has to wear a a veil over his head. Because God's being is just that intense. And then he says, I will present you. I'm able to present you. Yes, you. Blameless before me in the fullness of his presence. The presence of his glory. To stand with him. Now, if that's not amazing and bringing us joy, like, continue to think about this. God is the one who sent his son to redeem us. God needs nothing. Nothing. He created us out of his own pleasure. He created mankind out of his own desire to share with creation the beauty of who he is. And we transgressed, and he could have wiped us out. But God, in his pleasure, sent his son to redeem us because he desires to walk with us, to be in fellowship with us. He desires to make us to be able to stand in his presence, and what he desires, he accomplishes. God works to make us into people who reflect the image of his son perfectly. And he does it with joy. Right? He's happy to do this. And that joy also gives us joy in the presence of his glory. Right? Jesus came here, like it's right over Hebrews says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It was joy for him. God does not look at you as like a problem child. Oh, man, hearing from Bob again. Man, why can't this guy get this? 
Oh, Jane's in trouble again. Messed up again. I got to come keep him from falling down. No. He loves to do that. He desires to do that. He is able to do that. He will do that. Because God keeps his people secure. God molds his people into what he calls them to be. What God promised he will do, he will fulfill. Now I want you to notice that here, when we read this, now to him it was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I want you to notice who is doing that. What does he say? Now to him, it is God who does this. It doesn't say, now to him and some of your work to help you not stumble and to be more holy. No, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless. Him who is able to do that. And I think oftentimes we know this, but practically we don't live this. Because we think that we have to somehow make ourselves be more holy than we actually are. Instead of just simply giving the Lord exactly where we are and asking him to do with us what he would. So, how do we notice this? Well, do I feel like every morning I have to have a devotion? Or everything's going to fall apart? If somehow I woke up and my kid's thrown up and then everything's, you know, house is a mess and I got to get to work and something happened and just boom, 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 boom. And now I'm in the middle of the day and I have not gone through my devotion. Oh man, I'm going to fail and fall. I didn't read Oswald Chambers for the day. Well, no. God is with me. He knows my circumstance and my need is Having a devotion, a good thing to have. Absolutely it is. Do not get me wrong. Is it necessary for growth in the Christian life? Absolutely it is. Is it a bargain that we put so that God would give us something that we think we need and manipulate him into making us into something that we're not? No, it's not. It is a way in which we interact in relationship to God. And that relationship exists when I read this. That relationship exists when I walk through life. And I find myself in a bad, difficult circumstance where I have no idea what I'm going to do. I can stop and go, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to say. I've got myself in a pickle. And I, I don't know what to do. And God can actually come through and work out in that situation and keep me from stumbling. And he's done it throughout history. He's, he's specifically in the Bible picked out weak people to show his power. He specifically called out people who have problems that worldly solutions cannot solve. Right? So Abraham and Sarah... 
the father of his nation, barren, at 90 years old. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And you won't even be able to number them. More than sand on the seashore and more than stars in the sky. Which the more and more we look at the sky, the more and more crazy the amount of stars that are out there. Barren at 90 years old. There's not a surgeon today that could make a woman at 90 years old have a baby. And God, through his Abraham's weakness, telling Pharaoh his wife is his sister, telling the king of Gerar his wife is his sister, being completely faithless, God works in a miraculous way. Right? God... God works, Gideon, right? Judges, you have Midians coming up and he's, they're, they're harassing Israel and Gideon's got 30,000 men to go fight against them. What does God do? He tells them, hey, if anyone's scared, you can go back to your home. And they're like, all right, 10,000 of them. They're like, see you later, I'm not doing this. And then he whittles them down to 300 men. And he takes them to a hill somewhere with some pots and some torches and some horns. It's like, here's the game plan, guys. Break some pots, light some torches, blow a horn. Midian's done for. Look, are you crazy? And God comes through in a miraculous way. And we could just keep on going through example after example. David, Goliath, little King Josiah. God consistently has shown himself to work mightily on those who submit their lives to him. And don't look for their own to bring, here's, here, Lord, here's my little strength. Like, I, 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 you know, I'm skilled in this. I can swing a sword. Oh, I don't want that. I just want your, you. I'll take care of it. He writes in Isaiah. You thirsty, come buy bread without any money. Come buy drink without anything. Just come and receive from me because I want to give you. And he selects this persecutor of the church, Paul, to go in, who's killing, he's, he's standing over the, the death of the first martyr in, in the Christian church. And he takes that man, turns him into the greatest evangelist that's ever walked this planet. We learn from him that the man who's been, who's seen beautiful things, who knows all this stuff, who God's working and is struggling, and he wants whatever struggle he has taken away, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless. It's him that does that. And we know this, guys. We're seeing it happen in our church. Week in, week out. Some of you are new with us, you don't know this, but we're, we've been searching for a youth pastor for quite a while. And the Lord has sought fit to keep that door closed. 
And that's not without great effort and lots of time that I wish I could have back and some of our elders wish we could have back. But he's kept the door closed. Evidently, he really, really loves the man he's bringing here because he's keeping the position open. But in the meantime, when we're missing staff, what happens? The Lord comes through and puts a call on someone in this congregation to step up and to lead. And we have people like Debbie Wallace and Christine Metzing, Dave and Jen Morrow, leading our junior high and our senior high. And the junior high and the senior high are experiencing some growth. Our junior high, which last year, there was discussion about just moving them into our senior high. Because there wasn't enough people to have a program. That ministry is now thriving with many kids because God is stepping up and working through his people. I could talk about so many different things in this church. The greeters ministry. Which the Bodeckers, Rebecca Bodecker, um, uh, oh, sorry, Elizabeth Becker. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Allison. Allison. Well, I'm in trouble. Um, Allison Bodecker and Ralph Bodecker have been stewarding that ministry. And you know what it's been doing? I have multiple new people who have come here, and I, I mean, multiple occasions. I was going to this church over here, and no one said anything to me. I've been there for months. I come here and I've met like 15 new people. I don't even know the names of the people, how many people I've met. That's God working through a difficult circumstance to make sure his plan for his people comes through to keep us from stumbling. It's what he does. It's who he is. He's good. He's faithful. He's kind. He's gracious, and he does it. And he simply wants not our effort, he wants our submission. And that's the real thing. When you come to know the Lord, it is a submission to him. God, you are the one who gets to determine right and wrong. You are the one who gets to determine what's good for life and what's not good for life. And I've been making that determination my whole life, and it's led me nowhere but misery. So I submit to you. I believe that you are who you say you are. And I ask you to come and rescue me, and I submit my life to you and whatever you would have for me. And so obedience is not effort. Obedience is walking in submission to what God wants us to do. And he will ensure what he's promised will come through. God loves us. God cares for us. God keeps us. And God makes us into pictures of who he is through our brokenness, through our imperfection. He shows himself. 
So, this is true. This is a question I think just ask for yourself. Do I rest in the security that I have in my Heavenly Father? Or am I trying to make it on my own? Do I rest in the security I have in my Father? Or am I trying to make it on my own without him? Every day we should wake up asking the Lord to take dominion over our hearts and our lives. Every day we should stay in relationship with him, trusting him to work through our mistakes, our blunders, to keep us from falling away. Every day we should just open ourselves, Lord, I had this dream last night. That was not a good dream. Lord, you know what I did the other day. You know what I have in front of me. Lord, I'm here. Come. Be in me all that you desire to be in me. My life is yours. Do with me what you will. And he will. He will walk with you and through you to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before him. Do I take responsibility for my own holiness? Or do I give that to him? He's good. He's patient. He's kind. Now, we are about to take communion as we do every first Sunday of the month. Because it's something that our Lord has asked us to do. To gather together regularly to take his table. His elements that he designated over to show us and remind us of who he is. So if you've been asked to give that, I would ask that you would gather up and just go ahead and come forward. Um, Worship team, if you want to go ahead and come up. Because this thing that we're taking is a reminder of what we just have been looking at here. That Jesus in his fullness has forgiven us. That he broken open his body to sustain us. And that he shed his blood to forgive us. That his death brought us life. That he is the bread who comes down from heaven to feed and sustain us through everything. So today, as we take these elements, I think it's just appropriate for us to spend time remembering what he's done, reminding ourselves of what he's done, and spend some time in prayer. If you've been struggling in your walk with him on your own, And not resting in his finished work? Tell him. Change your mind. Lord, you're the one who's said that you will finish this in me. So, Lord, I submit to you again. Lord, you're the one who's going to finish the work that you started in me.
you're the one that's going to do this. 